0: I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey there, Solar Warrior. If you're new here, welcome and thank you for giving us a chance to earn your attention by lending me your ears and the only non-renewable resource that you've got, that is your time. In 1959, with just five employees in a barn in Wales, Wisconsin, Robert Kern began manufacturing generators based on his own unique designs. More than 60 years later, the company he founded, Generac Power Systems, is a leading global supplier of backup and prime power products. Generac practically created the market for home standby generators and still commands an impressive market share in that category. But how are they transitioning to? The renewable energy reality in this energy transition. Today's expert guest is Keith Merritt, president of Clean Energy Services at Generac, and I sought to better understand exactly what Generac's clean energy strategy is and why we should be paying attention to this Fortune 1,000 power player. Keith is a serial entrepreneur with two decades of high-tech marketing and corporate growth experience. And he joined Generac back in 2019 through the acquisition of his previous company, Nurio. I was grateful for Keith's willingness to speak candidly about their growth process and open the kimono a bit on the overarching strategy he and the team have pursued, which includes the acquisition of numerous other clean energy businesses in the nearly four years he's been in leadership there. I hope you'll subscribe to the show as that'll ensure that you won't miss out on our twice weekly content just like this. Of course, you can always check out our nearly 500 additional clean energy founder stories and startup advice at mysuncast.com. For now, let's get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Solar Warriors, if you've been paying attention at all to the power electronics side of renewables, in particular, the fast-growing residential sector and the, uh, the acquisition fever that is happening in the market. M&A is just the, it's on everybody's tongue. Either you're raising money or you're getting bought or you're doing the buying. And one of the companies that's been doing the buying a lot in the last three or four years, it's a company called Generac, little company that's been around about 60 years. And they now are really, really dominating in the residential and increasingly larger uh, solar power systems sectors. The person who leads that category for Generac is a guy named Keith. Merit. Keith's the president of the Clean Energy Division, which is now the fastest growing. I don't know if it's the largest yet, but the fastest growing division of Generac. And we've got Keith here to talk about how he sees the world uh, through his Generac lens. Keith, thank you for joining Suncast. No, thanks for having me, Nico. Yeah, man. It's, uh, it must have been a wild ride for you over the last, what, almost four years now since Nurio was acquired.
1: Yeah. I mean, we were acquired, when was it? Uh, March? 2019. And so just over 3 years now and it's been an absolute whirlwind. Uh fast-paced growth, lots of amazing products launches, taking the clean energy market by storm. It's been fabulous. It's been awesome.
0: Well, you weren't always in the in the in the pocket of clean energy in the driver's seat of pushing one of the largest brands forward and helping them sort of transition into what we know as the energy transition. Generac has a great story that I know we'll get into, but I want to back up a few years, maybe a, a decade or two, and think more about Keith as uh, as the as the guy who was trying to figure out where he was going to go in life. And let's go, why not, all the way back to maybe your later childhood, early teens. I'm curious, in your family, what did the conversation look like around the dinner dinner table? And I'm particularly curious... About the dynamics of the kinds of personalities that influenced how you thought about what a career might look like.
1: You know, it's true what they say. You know, family is, you know, kind of shapes in who you are as a as a person and character as you're growing up. In for my particular case, it wasn't just like my immediate family, like my mom and my dad. It was really around my grandparents. I had a really kind of amazingly endearing grandma who was this quasi-local famous artist. Or she'd do a lot of like watercolor paintings. And so I'd spend a ton of time at her house as much as I could just sitting at the table and drawing with her and, you know, doing whatever I can to learn about it. And she's really the one that instilled that creative spirit within me. And I think that's really driven me through today, like where I am. And it's, you know, it's incredibly important to have that in, in a market, especially like we're in right now with a solar market, you've got to have have that creative mindset to solve the problems that we're doing. I attribute it to my grandma because, you know, at the table, the dinner table with my, my dad and, you know, even my brother later on became, you know, high powered accountants. And so it was really about become the business person. Don't, don't even think about like,
0: you know, what an artist's uh, life could be. What was that early in life first clash that you felt like maybe you really felt between, I love what my, my grandmother's heritage has instilled in me of being a creator and being an artist, and then your dad's pragmatic, hey, focus on the bottom line, uh, artists are starving for a reason mentality.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess the biggest clash was, the, you know, obviously it was my university selection and choice. So as you're going through your high school, your former high school years, you're you're gearing up to go to your post-secondary education. And I was submitting portfolios to art schools is my hope to get, become an artist. And my dad's, you know, saying, no, 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 you have to submit yourself to a business school and be part of the business school in order to make money. And it ultimately came down to is, You know he's not going to help me pay for my education or help pay for part of my education, which he did in all part. If I didn't go to business school, so really that pressure forced me to take that up, uh, and you know, so I had to put down my paintbrush and go
0: towards uh, a
1: business school of choice.
0: And business school you did against your sort of internal nature and driving, but at your dad's behest. And I think we've all been there where. We have to make that choice of following our calling versus being a, a bit more conservative around getting real world skills that we feel like we can definitely fall back on. Did you think that there was a, a credible chance that you would just use those business skills as a fallback and you'd get through school, satisfy your dad, and then, and then pursue art in some creative way?
1: Yeah. You know, I always kept it in me, even through the schooling that I was doing. I found other creative outlets I uh, want to own try my hand at. So I did, you know, computer science and started going down that course and doing programming on the side to better understand that. And it was, a I was an amazing creative outlet as well. You can do some really pretty interesting, cool things. I then learned, you know, I, I had one of the, a great professor there that steered me in the direction of, you know, marketing and advertising and what that could could bring. So I, I got really interested in that aspect of it because that, you know, I'm like with a creative mind, I've got a, curiosi- a curiosity mind. So I'm trying to figure out things. I found with the marketing angle, you can really sort of dive down into, you know, customer needs, customer problems, understand, you know, come up with creative ideas to solve those problems. And so, you know, I steered my my career in that direction. And after university, I joined a Uh, an ad agency, one of the, you know, top global ad agencies to, you know, again, live the best of the both worlds, which I thought, which is have a hand in creative. So working with, you know, super creative, talented artists, but be on the, you know, the account side where you're working on the strategy for the client and understanding what their customer problems are. So it really was, you know, a perfect sort of, meshing of my creative mind and my dad's business mandate
0: and you know i can still imagine many of us are thinking about the reality of our our pragmatic dad still going wait an ad agency that's not exactly what i had in mind like there's always that like that 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 uh that aspect of constantly striving in some level to decide like who am i pleasing here what am i trying to accomplish but you did 10 years uh overall in ad and marcom First, as you said, with Gray and second with Bell. Bell, most Americans maybe don't know, but Bell, it's a pretty big deal, pretty big company. How would you package and paper, and perhaps you have in other conversations, that that decade of growth in your business acumen? What do you feel like Gray and Bell helped you achieve from a skill set perspective that put you on the path to not just VP of marketing, which is your entry point to a couple of different startups as well, but uh, but president and CEO and and all the things that you've gone on to achieve.
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, through gray, my, my years, it's funny. I walked in there, I had about a month underneath my belt and the CEO of that company, of that agency said to me, he wanted me to take over their largest account at the time, which is like, I'm a month out of university, or a month new. And he wants me to hand their multi million dollar anchor customer to drive what they're doing. I always like challenges and stepping up to the challenge around these ideas. And so sometimes I find myself in situations where it's like, you know, you second guess yourself, am I ready for this? And is this the right moment in time for me to take this on? Am I setting myself up to fail? And I've always had this kind of internal motto, which is like, there's, you know, try, try whatever is handed your way, do your best to succeed. And you might surprise yourself. And that's where I, I think, you know, I really took that, the reins there at when I was leading that account at Gray, moved over to Bell and kind of a similar situation approached where it's, they were a very Eastern dominated telecom company, the largest in the country, had no real operations in the West and were looking to stand up and, and grow nationally. And so I joined them and sort of took over and, you know, led a lot of their national or sorry, their Western growth initiatives. And we, we had such tremendous success in that, I don't know, one to two years that immediately they wanted to amalgamate it to be sort of a national play, all underneath one, and they wanted to help lead it. So a guy sitting in the West helping lead a national program for all of Canada was another. So you step up to the challenge, right? And you you do that. And so I really, I guess it came down to, I thrive in an environment where it's, you know, high pressure, high growth, lots of, you know, interesting things that are happening. And it really sets the stage for, you know, where I I wanted to go my, you know, my career path.
0: What do you think? The the CEO of Gray and maybe even the the leadership at Bell saw in you that prompted them to trust you that early in your career. I
1: would like to say I did a good job. Like I, I like to say that, but I also think well, it's- with a
0: month into the job, how could you have done a good job to take the largest account? And the, yeah. that's what I'm saying. It's like there's something. I think there's something else at play there, and and it's it's subtle. It's under the it's under the hood. It's something that maybe they noticed about you. Do you have any speculation around that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I will say first thing foremost with me, I have never asked specifically for, you know, a job or job promotion or anything like that. Like I've never been the one to do, try to climb the corporate ladder for the sake of climbing the corporate ladder. That's never been my play. My play has always been do well, perform well, give 110% of what you have at something and things will go well for you. And I think within Gray, they saw within the first month that I was, you know, probably spending a lot of time, maybe more time than I needed there, really trying to learn the business, really eager to learn, really building a good rapport with uh, the various people within the organization. And, and I will say it is life will say timing, right? Some things happen Mm -hmm. well with timing. So I won't discount that.
0: Is there anything that you see now as a leader? Having been the CEO of of, uh, of three companies or divisions now, I believe, maybe more. So one of the things we develop over time is pattern matching, right? That's what the CEO, he maybe even subconsciously saw in you, things that he recognized as like, hmm, potential leader, infinite learner. What are things that you think about when you are engaging with, I'll call it new, it doesn't have to be young, but like new staff at your business that you sense this tug of like, this person is going to excel and I can't really put my finger on it, but maybe you can.
1: I definitely don't have it down to a science, but I think, but I think the things that I know for sure when I see great talent and great people, even if they're at other companies, I can recognize is passion. First and foremost, they have to have that passion and energy. It, you know, exude it. Like it's just like it comes out of their pores that they're just so uh, excited by it, thriving, wanting to learn or wanting to do. That's what gets me going. And then I would say, you know, commitment. So it's just, they push that passion into committing what they're going to do and and driving forward. You know, I'm a sports guy and, and, you know, you could see the kids on the team or people on the team that are, you know, they might not be the best, most talented technical players on a team, but if they bring that energy and that commitment, they're going to be one of the top players. And And I see that in business all along. Yeah, obviously education's important and you know making sure that people have it, but I will take a talented individual that brings a lot of energy over, you know, a top-school individual any day that is lacking that.
0: So, the transition out of the huge company of Bell into a vision line was a big uh, turning point in your career. Can you talk a bit about that first place of cutting your teeth a- in a startup world? And what that, how that prepared you for the decade to come?
1: Yeah, I would say it's funny. That was one of my, I would say, first forays into a true startup. But I've, I've had, you know, my side business, uh, I've created little startups on the way. And so I kind of already knew what I was getting into. My general mindset, which drives my wife nuts sometimes, is like, I'm this perpetual entrepreneur. Like I've got to try new things. You know, she'll even say like, Eat it for our, our house, like I've rebuilt our house and, and sometimes done it dangerously, horribly wrong because I don't know what I'm doing, but I just have to understand and learn it. So I, you bring that entrepreneurial mindset to the table. And so joining a Vigilon was, you know, they were an early stage company, 35 people, you know, youthful, young, typical start, you know, technology startup company. And it really allowed me to, I guess, like, you know, flex all of that entrepreneurial muscle that I've always had throughout my body through the years. And it was, you know, again, I hit it at the right timing where they were just coming out of the area of having technology that was good. They are in a market that was pretty old and nascent. They didn't understand a lot of the new technology that a Vigilon had. And it was, It was really interesting and fun to, you know, create a new category within an old category and dominate it.
0: And what was the category, Kit, for those who aren't familiar?
1: Yeah, so it was uh, video surveillance, which to most people sounds pretty boring and nascent. It's, you know, the cameras that sit in the buildings to catch criminals. But Mm -hmm. typically it was what you would see on TV was this like green, horrible footage like you could barely recognize Sasquatch uh, through it, so it was that was the best at this time. And Evigilon had created technology that was far better than that. I mean, in, in fact, at the time we had cell phones that had way better clarity of imagery, and so why can't we have that on the side of buildings? And so that's what Evigilon did. They created a whole new technology platform that allowed for much higher, crisp resolution cameras, which now you see everywhere.
0: What was the critical limiting factor early days was it just there was no cloud storage there was no place like it was they they needed to solve for what could be stored on site like the data what was it that constrained
1: it's the transmission and the storage of the data because you're looking at storing you know gigabytes terabytes petabytes a uh, massive amount and you're trying to transfer that from you know hundreds maybe even potentially thousands of cameras at a given site and so it's all about You know, one, ensuring that you have a high quality sensor uh, to capture it, but transmitting that data and ultimately, you know, storing on site and allowing for fast, quick access. So you have to access the stuff within effective real time. And when you're going through petabytes of data, that's challenging. And so that's the technology that they created was more about how to access all of that.
0: I'm seeing a lot of similarities, though, between, you know, first of all, it's Category recreation or or evolution, as it were. Anyone listening to this that's been in clean energy for five minutes understands the the connections. And it is consumer behavior change. That's right. Talk a bit about how the similarities from the vigilant days that feel like second nature to you now at the with the work that you did with Nurio and Generac in terms of consumer behavior.
1: Yeah. So that's you know, that's where I thrive is that challenge where it's you're stepping into a market that doesn't understand your technology, doesn't understand the value of your technology. And you have to get into the mindset of the homeowner to convince them that this is, you know, effectively the best things in sliced bread to come into their house, that they need this technology and they can't live without this technology. That's what we did at Avigilon. That's what we did at Nereo. I mean, Nereo you know, was at that company. We were, you know, Uh, Well, I guess technically I'm still at that company, the, uh, (laughs) you know, trying to convince people to understand where their energy is going so that, you know, they can mitigate either large consuming bills in their household that they're seeing or making better lifestyle choices and decisions that will better the environment or better their, you know, their pocketbook for sure is what we were trying to
0: do. So one of the things that you and I discussed in a previous conversation was around the the CEO of Vigilon. You ended up helping take that company public, taking it from ninety million to more than a billion valuation. And you characterized the CEO as almost maniacal in taking on industry incumbents. What I want to do is kind of make some comparisons here for folks to understand a bit about like the work that you've done and how it translates into the work at Generac. Like, how do you see the current energy industry? Organized that may may be similar to the your previous work in uh, surveillance technology and in general around t- telecommunications.
1: Yeah, so I think you know my comment around the CEO being you know maniacal and, and not afraid of big industry players is very synergistic to here. Mm-hmm. Where you know in that world it was dominated by big companies like Sony and Panasonic because they're the big imaging companies. Here in our world. It's, you know, we're the small percentage, the solar companies and providers going up against large utilities that are effectively, that's the one where the world has provided the energy from, you know, 100 plus years. That world's changing. And now uh, consumers are becoming more aware of energy independence, that they can actually make decisions on where they get their energy from. It's going to take a lot of, Maniacal leaders to instill this change uh, that's gonna that's coming, and it's it's coming for the benefit of everybody. It's, it's coming for the benefit of utilities itself as well.
0: Yeah. So, as a marketing guy, you had an opportunity, and maybe you can walk me through what that looked like at Vigilon, You saw this opportunity at a startup called Energy Aware, and you left vigilon to go over to Energy Aware, which was rebranded later as as Nureo. Uh I'm curious about the decision to step away from a company that you've taken public that is going well and you're relatively early in your career still talk about that decision-making process that you made, maybe it included your wife or your mentors. How did you really think through that? And then let's, let's focus on Nereo and what it became or energy aware rather than what it became.
1: Yeah. So I guess I probably should have backed up with the, the vigilance. So I stepped away, you know, I should have mentioned I stepped away from a big cushy corporate job at Bell Well, I was having my, I guess it was my third child. So, you know, we're all good. We're comfortable. And then all of a sudden I tell my wife that I'm going to, you know, quit my career and join this little startup. I'm going to make half of what I make previously, but don't worry. The CEO tells me a good story of what I'm going to do. So that, you know, I take a huge risk profile for my family because I want to appease my, you know, entrepreneurial spirit. You know, my wife is probably the most amazing woman I know that she just right away, without any question, just encourages me. You've got to do it. You've got to follow your dream. you got to do it. And that was a very similar thing after where uh, with a Vigilon, when I left a Vigilon and went to Energy Aware was felt I had accomplished what I wanted to a Vigilon where... Again, grew it from a very small company in an industry that didn't understand them to a big, large player within the industry in a very short period of time. So super hyper growth, you know, took it public, you know, I almost felt like it was just like a roller coaster ride that I almost, you know, felt burnt out. So I I needed to leave. And I told my wife that, you know, again, (laughs) after dropping the bomb on her previously about leaving a cushy job i want to leave this other nice job and i'm going to join a a total
0: a really small startup like a five and for context this is only about three years later
1: for three years later at a that's right yeah. yeah so it was just again hyper growth from a 90 90 million dollar market cap when we went public to a billion and a half
0: so it was pretty hyper growth And how'd you meet the energy aware founders I kind of knew about them
1: a little bit and they reached out to me because um, they knew it's, you know, kind of a local executive in the marketing space uh, mm-hmm. in town here. i liked like the story. So, you know, I had done advertising, I'd done telecom, I've done telecom. And then of course I did, you know, security. And I felt, you know, my soul needs a little bit reprieving. I need to get into something that's actually going to, you know, benefit my, my kids yeah. going forward. For those that don't know, like, Vancouver is Greenpeace's like founding area, so yeah. we have a heritage of, of here of being real uh, about the environment. Uh, yeah. And so, I felt that was t- I needed to get into the space in the clean tech space. So I was doing my research on it at the same time, looking at a bunch of different companies doing some really amazing things in clean tech in Vancouver. And uh, at the same, Energy Aware reached out to me.
0: What trends were you following at that time? Like Green Tech, yeah, it was on the tip of tongue for folks. You know, we're talking early teens, uh, 2013, 2014 time frame. But what what trends did you see that really convinced you this is a, a growth market? And I, I want to understand how to how to grab this tiger by the tail.
1: Yeah, so trends were seeing like a few years prior, I think it was maybe just a year prior, Nest was bought by a Google. And I saw like the nest unveiling at the South Southwest conference down in Texas or concert down in Texas, all about what they were doing. So it kind of really inspired me that there's going to be a merging of smart home technology and energy management of, you know, the home's energy converging together. Kind of the next, if you want to call it the digitalization of energy is going to happen and so that's a trend that I saw and when I heard when I heard the story from at the, at the time the CEO at Energy Aware and what their ambitions were I knew that was something that I had to be part of and wanted to be part of.
0: How were they making money at the time or how did they aspire to make money?
1: So they had a energy a monitoring device that's installed in the electrical panel that then provided very granular energy data. It could pull in, you know, what the loads in the home are doing, and it could also pull in solar data if the home had solar. And so this
0: is just CTs and it's similar to like Smappy and other products.
1: You got it. Exactly. So exactly like that. We were one of the early ones out of the gate. I think we were actually probably one of the first ones out of the gate. Uh, with that technology, it allowed us to really, you know, get a foothold in the solar industry. And we worked with a lot of large solar uh, companies like Solar City at the time, and they were installing our product. Uh, to you know, you know, they had this obviously the solar side of the equation, but they were missing the consumption side of it. So they were a big uh, partner of ours at the time. So that's that's how we were making our money was. You know, selling the hardware and then through, you know, APIs and and monitoring, we would uh, look at software partnerships uh, between various different companies that were looking to leverage the data
0: that we had. Do companies like Lumen and Span excite you now, kind of knowing what you went through?
1: Yeah, they do. I mean, they've finished the other piece of the equation that we were looking at doing. So we had the monitoring of it, but we were missing the management. So you've, once you gather all of that data and intelligence, you can completely understand how the home operates and how it could be tweaked to be better. But then you didn't have the means to actually tweaking it to be better because he didn't do the management. You know, that was a big piece that we were moving in. And in fact, we launched... With Generac, two years after, three years after our acquisition, the management piece of the equation. So we have a product called the Power Manager, which controls 12 loads within the homes installed next to the electrical panel. And that allows us to, again, take all of that energy data and intelligence of the home and our data scientists, you know, create the models on how our Power Manager operates. So super smart technology nowadays.
0: Did you know that your maintenance strategy could be responsible for your solar project operating at a whopping 6% annual production loss? Let our friends at 60 Hertz help. 60 Hertz economizes your O&M expenses by composing complex data feeds and turning your data acquisition system alerts noise into harmony. With 60 Hertz, your teams remain alerted with institutionalized workflows and automatically generate work orders to get the jobs done. Learn more at mysuncast.com forward slash 60 hertz. That's six zero H-E-R-T-Z. Hey, I know you are a savvy listener. Heck, you're listening to Suncast and you've probably, as a result, heard of a little company called SunGrow. If you're not using SunGrow inverters on your projects, I would love to better understand why. They are the inverter of choice for many of the EPCs that I know. SunGrow is the number one in gigawatts deployed. They've got the top bankability in the industry. Hexolve uses them for the majority of their projects. And you may not even know, but SunGrow has the largest R&D team in the power electronics industry. These three key points alone have convinced most of the major US developers to prefer SunGrow. They now experience a diversified supply chain, local service team, patented containerized product, all with their seamless, pain-free commissioning. Look, imitation is the highest form of flattery. So why spend all of your cycles on what inverter to use when the largest EPC in the land has already done the heavy lifting for you? You can have their same experience for your projects. See how at mysuncast.com forward slash sungrow. I mean, I'm curious from a marketing perspective before we get into generic. You joined as uh, as marketing lead to help Energy Aware basically get create brand awareness. At some point, the founding CEO stepped aside. You became CEO. When did you decide, to, and how did you decide to, to, there needed to be a new brand? Why was that important?
1: It was, you know, it was, it was at the time that we were looking at: is do people understand what Energy Aware is at its core? versus something that we wanted to be more central to the home, like the central system. So the, that's where kind of Nereo came from, the you know, the nervous system. So it was meant to, where energy-aware could be more limiting in what our future plans and goal were, because we just don't want to be about being aware of your energy. We actually wanted to get into the action and the change, the habit of change for uh, homeowners. And so that's, you know, we kind of uncuffed ourselves by going with something a little bit more forward uh, with Nereo.
0: I think it's interesting because you ultimately, I can imagine, aspired to, again, take on industry titans like Samsung, who are already in the business of creating IoT for the home and controlling consumer loads, uh, at least on a, uh, on a per light bulb or per, per unit manner. How did you meet Generac?
1: Well, Generac met us. So it was funny, you know, being in vain. Vancouver- you have a history of this. I'm seeing it. <laughs> you're
0: you're people- the bell of the ball, yeah. Keith. Everybody wants to. <laughs> yeah, I guess
1: I, I said I never reach out to people. They reach out to me. Uh, and maybe I'm socially. Oh, no, I'm fine. But uh, it's it's interesting. You know, fall of 2018, uh, I get a phone call from Generax, head of M&A in corporate development there. A guy by the name of Steve Goran. And you know wants to talk you know we're raising capital looking at capital and you know they they're they've invested in a small startup before and so they're potentially looking at other areas and so he and I started talking and then I then there's. CEO-
0: had had you had you sort of raised the flag at least in smaller circles that you were looking for strategics or you're looking to raise money
1: yeah i i had done a few rounds at different investor conferences in clean energy okay. conferences and yeah. you know of course we had a you know large showing at SBI in InterSolar at the time. And Generac was actively looking in this space. They had already put yeah. a strategic plan together internally, bought off by the board, said that we're gonna go down this path. We're mm-hmm. we're gonna go heavy into clean energy. I, I yeah. didn't realize how heavy they planned on going.
0: Did you know who Generac was? No no
1: <laughs> yeah. i love that I, <laughs> I, 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 I tell them to this day it's i mean we're in vancouver we're you know we have moderate temperature not moderate
0: weather we don't have power outages for those who maybe don't understand why i'm laughing because they like likewise i've never heard of generac why don't you um, burst the bubble here and explain why generac matters in the overall energy sector
1: yeah so it's it's Pretty funny, when I first met with Stevie, you kind of mentioned it to me, is they're in this backup generator space. These generators mm-hmm. sitting all across the country. In fact, they have about three- Across the world. M- across the world, I should say. You're absolutely right. But just in the US alone, they have about three million of these large uh, kilowatt generators sitting on homes. Three million. Three million of the average size is like 16 kW. So you're looking at, you know, hundreds, thousands, of megawatts, gigawatts of energy that effectively make them the you know, when all combined together, could be the largest utility in all of the U.S. If all
0: of that power is pulled, so it's. I mean, that's like 4.8 terawatts of power, or something like that, right? Yeah. Is that am I doing the math right? It's, I, it's, five it's a ter- lot. Not gigawatts. Lot. This is like bigger than gigawatts. Yeah, it's
1: bigger. It's definitely bigger than gigawatts for sure. It's Golly. massive. Uh, the amount of access to power that generac has was any of that power online like cloud controlled or accessible absolutely they have a whole cloud platform that connects to it called mobile link
0: and then how much of that was owned by the customer versus owned by generac in some sort of a um a, a leasing agreement
1: all of it is owned by the customer so it is a product okay, that's all sold that's owned by the customer. and this goes back to you know we'll talk, we'll talk about strategy is one of the things that I came into the Generac and working with the group is realization of Generac before is just seen as an asset company right, right they just yeah. sell an asset but in we we'll cheap. talk refrigerator about, right. we'll, we'll talk about it in the, in the evolution of Generac's you know strategy where it is where those they're not just assets anymore. They're actually tangible, valuable products that we can use to better the grid. And Generac has now the tools to do that. So
0: in 2018, the company that you had no idea about uh, had heard about you, clearly saw you give them visibility inside the home. They come knock on the door. What happened next?
1: You know, they they paint the picture of where this could go together as a partnership. And so they made it very clear at the beginning, which is, you know, they could invest absolutely within us. They liked the story of what we were doing, but they also knew internally that they needed not only the technology, but our team to get to where they wanted to go. And so the conversation very quickly steered towards acquisition. And the story that appealed to me the most was the amount of scale that Generac could bring to our organization. Scale that as a startup, sure, we can take capital and we can grow organic and we can do things like that. But, Again, you know, being my mindset of a market creator and wanting to, you know, grow fast and do things as fast as I can. I looked at Janrak as, again, access to 3 million households, massive amount of, you know, a big balance sheet to help us grow. You know, it's incredibly appealing. I mean, sitting in an office today that is, you know, three times the size we were two years ago.
0: Yeah. Well, you've grown the team more than three times. So... I'm curious for anybody who is trying to think about now like finding a strategic or maybe even participating in this M&A uh wave uh the way that you and Pica and Chilicon and Ecobee have have done what is a an acceptable range of multiples that you see maybe informed by Neuro or Nurio or others but like is there for particularly for hardware not software software is a totally different <laughs> animal Software's with different uh, animal. companies like Arcadia, I mean Span just raised 200 plus million I think yep. uh, but Aurora, Arcadia, all these guys have raised 200 plus million which kind of is a new benchmark. But what do you think a hardware company that has product market fit should be able to expect from a strategic in terms of a multiple on EBITDA?
1: That's a tough question. It's all, I get asked quite a bit and it's there's so many variables that go into play there so it's not just like there's one answer that fits all. It depends on what industry you're in. You know, if you're, for instance, if you're in the EV charger space right now, you're hot. You, you know, everyone wants an EV charger, part of their portfolio. If you're, you know, in some other sort of smaller or industry, whether your valuable is going your multiple is going to go
0: lower. Well, what are, what are the things that you do look for then as a, I mean, we'll get into some acquisition strategy in a bit, but what are some of the things that you think you would advise folks that were, were sitting in your shoes? Maybe you didn't know even building Nurio, like what? generac or others might be looking for that they de- that strategics are definitely looking for now
1: now going through this quite a few times with generac and ourselves the big thing i think startups don't take into consideration and should is their team and the talent that they surround themselves with strategics will look at it in terms of you know the value of the technology that they can bring to the you know whatever the ecosystem or the equation that they're trying to solve but Ultimately, it's the team that I look for now the most in companies. I want to know that I've got a, you know, a team of like-minded individuals that have the same passion and the same, you know, tenacity to want to really drive forward and not drive forward in their existing business, but really help me at the bigger, broader corporate level, bring the larger strategy to fruition. That's that. That thing is incredibly important when we look at different acquisitions.
0: I think that's a really key point as well, and I agree with you that a lot of startup, even well-funded startup CEOs, maybe miss the point. You know, talent is everything, and it's a talent war out right now. And so, if you've done a great job of getting good talent on and convincing them that there's a future with your company, that is something that is highly prized and valuable to strategics that want to invest in that talent, not just the technology, because technology, you know. Like the differentiation between one technology versus the other may be literally the difference of what you've already got under the hood in your own R&D department. And so it doesn't matter. You pick one versus the other and you probably are looking at, I'm guessing, based on what you just said, which one has a better team? Which one do we want to work with? That's right.
1: Yeah. So I, I think I, I spend a lot of my time in due diligence and looking at companies is the team. Like that's where I think is the most value. It's not the same as an Aqua Hire. Some companies go purely after go after, you know, for do an Aqua Hire. There has to be technology. There has to be an idea where that technology is going to bring value to our larger strategy, but more emphasis is going to be put on the team. And do I do I believe the team can help our bigger strategy? Not just what they're working on, but our bigger strategy.
0: So let's talk about that bigger strategy because you didn't know Generac and they came and they mapped out this thing for you that now it's been your job the last almost four years, to roll out. And and you're the president of the clean energy division. You know, Generac, you acquired you, Nereo. A month later, acquired a company that many of us knew. We didn't know who Nereo was, but they acquired Pica Energy. And Pika was a storage uh, integrator and technology developer. Talk to me about that strategy of like, let's go get inside the home and then let's get a storage team on board. And, and then you proceed to acquire five, six, seven more companies since then.
1: Yeah, and so let's just start like back with Generac's strategy and why they even entertained us and why the clean energy space altogether. Generac is, you know, again very focused in you know, on delivering resiliency and peace of mind to homeowners. It was the previous, you know, was it was its previous and part of its current strategy for sure. When they did that through natural gas generators, so you know they're not diesel generators but natural gas generators. So at least on the cleaner side of it. But that said, it's still fossil fuel when it comes down to it. And they do, you know, the foresight that the CEO there had and the board and the other executives at Generac is unbelievable. They didn't want to make sure that they're not going to go by the wayside because they can see it coming. That the change of the internal combustion engine is, you know, it, it it has to. Like the climate is changing and therefore they can see that the regulations are going to be, you know, speeding up in terms of, you know, how fast we have to deprecate internal engines. And so that formed their plan, which is leveraging clean energy to continue their mission, continue their mission of providing peace of mind to homeowners. You know, so that's where the new acquisition came from. And that's where the Jenner or the Pika Energy acquisition came from to form this new clean energy group, really to, you know, effectively store sunshine and use it for the benefit of the homeowner in a resiliency application. Well, of course, we know there's much more than that side of the equation. So we, we want to use that same formula for homeowner savings, environmental purpose, which is, you know, really aligned to the mission. And so Gen X strategies evolved over that period of time. And that's why we looked at different, you know, ideas around the acquisitions that we're doing. And it's, Really, part of this play of to be a much larger player in the collective grid ecosystem is what we're looking at. And we start with, you know, my selfishly, I like it because that's my group is the home. And so we start with the inside the home, as you mentioned, gathering the data. Then we start with storing the sunshine and looking at that. And then we did an acquisition later, uh, and my years are going but I think it was like 2019 a company called Mbala. and Mbala was a grid services company uh, you know working with utilities to provide VPP software and basically taking all of the assets that are on the ground and surfacing them to utilities to run utility programs off of well again we've got 3 million generators on the ground we now have clean energy assets on the ground it was like a natural evolution and so it was a key piece that I was the really most excited by was now you're not just an asset company. Now you're a solution company and you're actually helping transform the grid to where the grid will go into the future.
0: So something must have changed there in the 2019, 2020 timeframe where Generac business model switched from selling products to selling services. Because if you, with Imbala, are going to be able to utilize these assets into grid, so grid programs, Presumably, either you already – you have a back-end contract with a client that you sold the asset to. I mean, it gets gets confusing, right? Like, this is where blockchain and everybody (laughs) starts running around in their head about how do we do V2G and how do we do – value stacking. Everyone with
1: the term value stacking.
0: Yeah. At what point did that change internally in Generac then? Because what I'm hearing is now Generac no no longer sells product. That's right. We sell solutions.
1: And that's, you know, what we're really trying to strive for is we want to – verticalize as much as we can so that we can bring value to the homeowner in the sense of, you know, resiliency, saving money. And then the third proposition is making money. So that's the grid services play. And then we want to bring value to the utility at at that side of the equation. And it's done through the services of, you know, the assets that we have on the ground through our customers. That's, You know, it's been really transformative over the last couple of years at Generac in terms of honing in on the strategy of where we want to play and do. And that's really led our acquisition path of how you see it. It is creating that holistic solution, as you say, that combines both the hardware and services and breaks us free of just being an iron on the ground company.
0: I love that we started the story with your realization. This must have been a sweet moment for you. Your realization that Nest was going to change the way the homeowner interacts with energy. And then five years later, six years later, you get to buy Ecobee, uh, basically a a Nest competitor. How does Ecobee inside the home help you get greater visibility and touch points with with the homeowner?
1: Yeah, that was a a really exciting acquisition and not for many reasons. And and one of them is, you know, they're a fellow Canadian tech company and and successful tech company (sighs) that uh, is, again, it's it's interesting. These Canadian tech companies take big North American, you know, other North American companies on uh, and to do amazing things. So uh, a little bit of Canadian pride right there you know, the thermostat is essential into the equation of the whole energy ecosystem. They're 50% of the load or 40-50% of the load when you don't have an EV charger. So they're a massive swing in either the the benefit or the detriment of what we're trying to do. So having access and control of the thermostat allows us to have a much tighter ecosystem underneath our purview, so that goes back to that solution, so that it's You know, there's a better holistic benefit to the homeowner or holistic benefit to the utility. They don't have to deal with disparate companies to cobble it together. It's just one company. We've got all the, everything under control. And then, you know, we can, we can surface the value.
0: Who do you consider right now in the home resiliency and electrification space to be your competitors?
1: I would say obvious players like uh, Enphase, for sure. Mm -hmm. And i say they're they are they are competitors but you know they there's friend and foe, right so we, we work with a lot of different companies on partnerships around things um depending on what type of business we're looking at so again our uh, we call them uh grids uh, generate grid services now which is the formal and Bala group they work with a lot of our competitors but they're they're obviously they're they're friends to them I'd say you know Tesla Tesla's a great friend, um, but also formidable in terms of what they're doing. They've got a very compelling offering, as everyone knows. Their
0: Powerwall um, installed. So you mentioned it, Solar City. Now Tesla was your biggest early client for Neria So I imagine those relationships persist. That's
1: right. So we have lots of friends over there, and lots of good coordination mm-hmm. between the groups. There, it's yeah. uh, highly respected. Absolutely. I mean, okay. I think everybody in this industry. It's one thing I've impressed is. I've worked with a lot of smart individuals in my time through all the different industries. And you have to be, if you're kind of trying to build industries, the solar industry, I would say by far is attracted the top, top talent, because I think it's one of these things. It's, it's probably the most important challenge and the most important thing we can be doing for all of our careers is to solve this problem. And so that all of our kids or our future kids can benefit from it. And so that's why it, it attracts unbelievably smart minds. And so that's where I do want to see, You know, we might call them competitors, but I also want to see them succeed because if they succeed, you know, and we succeed, then we all succeed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Co-opetition helps us all. Uh, rising tide lifts all boats, That's right? right. I don't know if you have an answer for this, but why do you feel that, you know, in phase, Along with, like alongside Generac, is just making, they're on a tear in acquisitions, very public. They're buying companies similarly uh, in different verticals. Why do you feel like they didn't acquire an Ecobee yet? Like that seems like a really natural fit for them as well.
1: Well, they probably beat them to it. Uh, <laughs> there's, uh, there's not really another. I mean, Nest is sitting is with there, Google. Is there not really another competitor uh, like that? No, there, there really isn't. Uh, the scale. I so, I mean, look at the scale. That must feel good. Yeah. <laughs> but again, with this, we, we look at companies that are at scale around that. And EcoBee has, you know, they've got about 4 million thermostats around the country. So, a, a huge amount of uh, control. They've got, you know, Building a thermostat is not the most easy thing. And so they've got a huge pedigree of technology in order to do it. So,
0: yeah. So we talked about something that uh, offline that I want to make sure we do touch on here. And that is the, speaking of pedigree, the ability to leverage six decades of experience. Mm. We are currently seeing, I would say, even a frothy level of success. It feels like anybody can throw their hat in the ring and do well in an industry that's growing at the parabolic trajectory that the solar and broader energy storage industries are. And yet we do see failures a lot. And we do think, see things go wrong, uh, sometimes horribly wrong. I mean, all the parts don't always work well. Where does the rubber meet the road in terms of that durability? You've now been inside of Generac for, for a number of years. What sets companies like Generac 60 years of, apart from the, the incumbents right now uh, to the energy sector and also like your, your major competitors.
1: We're all kind of doing the similar technology. We're all, you know, trying to build it out and we might create little differentiations here and there that allow us to compete a little bit better. Maybe your cost per watt is a little bit lower than the others. But ultimately, we do know is it's, it's relationships that win and how you mm-hmm. work with your customers is, mm-hmm. you know, really going to be the defining moment. Products will have issues. We all know it's technology, you know, things will go wrong and and it's how you respond to your customers, whether it's your dealers or your homeowners that make a tremendous difference. So Generac, and this is one of the really interesting things that drove me, you know, when we were deciding on the acquisition to join Generac was their insatiable desire to work and help their customers. You know they have not only three million homeowners, they have over eight thousand dealers, and these dealers are unbelievably loyal. Like we have a big conference every year, a dealer conference, where twenty five hundred or three thousand of these dealers come to the show, and it's it's just a big you know raw chant of you know how much they love Generac, and. You know, a lot of these people drive around in completely Generac branded vans or trucks that don't even say their company name on it, even though they're actually not part of Generac. And it's just because they trust the, you know, Generac so much. And what Generac has done over 60 years is they've got to understand is customer support is critical. How you work with your dealer network and how you work with your homeowners and how you respond to issues matters. It, It incredibly matters. So, yes, we want to make sure that everything is robust. And they you know, Generic's got incredible, impeccable quality standards that have to be met. But they also have incredible support standards that have to be met. And, like, you know, for instance, when there's a hurricane or something goes through, it's all hands on deck at Generic. I and mean, we have hundreds of people that are already manning phones on a daily basis, like hundreds. And when a storm goes through, it's literally like the CEO will sit on a, on the phone. Like it's all the executives will jump on the phones. And just just because it's, you know, they want to make sure that if there's an issue at the field that the customers can immediately rectify it because it's mission critical when it's, you know, there's a hurricane going through. So that's, you know, that level of attention to making sure that the the customer is happy and the customers first and foremost is thought about really is what, uh, you know, impressed me when I first got to know Generac. And, you know, that's where we've seen it impress us. So in the clean energy space, you know, we started with very few dealers that we're working with. Well, now we're upwards of, you know, 2,500, 3,000 dealers. And that's because it's just, it's, the words got around how we really want to work with and how good we are to work with.
0: So the last question around uh, something I know, folks are loving uh, uh, in this conversation, the M&A market, you know, in the current environment where it, we've, we're, we've come through an era where climate tech was flush with cash. Everyone was getting funded. And it seems to me like things are a little tightening up. We're talking about potentially hyperinflation. You've got a lot of folks looking at energy crisis around the world and trying to think about how they're managing cash. Are we heading into a recession? How do you see the market right now for M&A compared with, you know, the last 10 years that, that you certainly enjoyed and that the other companies have joined Generac? What do you, what do you think people should be preparing for, perhaps in valuations or other uh, aspects of, of that equation?
1: What we're seeing around the world, obviously, in the last, I'd say, you know, it's- been coming on for the last six months is definitely a change in the capital structure and it's driven a lot to do with how supply chain has driven up inflation and now there's talks of us moving into recession so retraction of the economies you know that will allow a little bit of a correction to happen in some of the marketplace when it comes to valuations because I think that was it was almost needed. I mean, some of these companies, the valuations that we saw were just astronomical in, in terms of where they're going, and it wasn't sustainable. So it's just not something that's sustainable. What's going to happen, I, and what we're seeing is a slight correction in terms of what some of the multiples people will be looking at, or we'll see from strategic companies. I wouldn't say it's, including Generac, we're not going to slow down our acquisition plan or path. But what we'll do is probably be, you know, more on the hunt for just really key pieces to the equation that we're looking at doing and be a little bit more, you know, directly focused in on that versus it, and probably pay, you know, probably look for better valuations that we might have expected, you know, six prior to six months ago. So my, I guess my advice to startup companies in this space is, you know. Don't get greedy if you're looking at raising capital, you know, get a good investor partner behind you, get a reasonable valuation that you and your, you know, shareholders would accept, but don't hold out for that big astronomical, you know, mega valuation that was of the of the prior, you know, we'll see where, the, you know, obviously I'm not an economist and I can't see where the economy is going to go over the next bit, but you know, there are signs that things are going to retract. And so therefore money will be tight to come by. So my advice to startups and other people looking at mentoring in this space would be is stock up in cash while you can, get a reasonable valuation that you can accept. And, you know, if a great strategic comes knocking on the door, entertain all, all avenues of, you know, what it
0: could be. Keith, with the Waning moments of our time together, I'd love to dig in a little bit on your personal views on sort of self self education, self development, personal development. I believe that readers are leaders, and as such, I like to dig into how you inform yourself. It could be through books, which I think are a great tool for us to gain the wisdom of of folks that have already come before us. Is there any particular book that you've gifted or that has had a big impact on the way that you see the world that you would like to share with others?
1: Well, great question. You know, there's a bunch of local, I think there are other books out here, which is, I think it's a book called Strive for the Best, which is all around looking at, you know, what's really well suited for you in in growing in that particular area, in in developing your own personal self uh, to where you want to go. Again, the passion I have is in the passion industry. So I'm a big industry researcher. So I will do a ton of perusing of, you know, my nightly routine is... Literally sitting on the couch, get a glass of wine and peruse all the industry uh, websites in, in site knowledge to see what's going on in the space.
0: You know, so I check out how how do you how do you track or bookmark that so that it makes it fast and easy for you?
1: Uh, just on my uh, iPad. Like bookmarks this, in your bookmarks on you you my iPad. Up. Yep.
0: What what are some of the bookmarks that you share?
1: Uh so I would definitely look at utility dive, I look at clean technica, I looked I look at uh PV magazine. I'm, you know, a, a big believer in another one called Engadget because I want to see all the latest and uh, eng- greatest you know, tech coming out. Uh, TechCrunch is always on my top of my list, and uh, I, I like fast company, so I'm a big fast company.
0: And so you're not doing that in like a Feedly or other type of reader; you're just straight up. Uh, you've got bookmarks, and you just file through them as you I'm can. Old school. In particular, with the glass of wine. In particular, I'll with a
1: glass of wine. That's important. Underscore. That's absolutely important.
0: <laughs> yeah. Keith, I really appreciate your time. I know that there are other folks that are going to want to say hello digitally, if not in in person. Where do you engage with folks, if at all? How could you best be found? Where can people learn more about you?
1: LinkedIn. LinkedIn is definitely one mm-hmm. uh, that uh, people can find me on for sure. Okay. Industry shows. So I am always go around. So yeah. I'll be at SBI in the fall, of course and happy to yeah. meet with people, um, there. I, I you know, talk about career, career stuff. I'm, a, you know, one thing you find about me is I, I thrive off in, in helping people and helping people succeed, even if like, and, and hopefully it, you know, it doesn't even it, it matter about, you know, what they can, you know, some people want to help people because they'll help themselves. I want no help in that. I just purely want yeah. to help people and grow and succeed.
0: Yeah. I love that. Well, thank you. That's, that means a lot to the suncast tribe. And I'm certain that folks uh, are getting a lot out of this conversation with us today. I want to finish with a final question that we always ask. It's called our bold prediction. Keith, what one thing do you see happening in the market that maybe nobody else is tracking? Let's look out over the next 18 to 24, maybe a little longer months. What, what's in your crystal ball?
1: Oof, good question. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say, you know, the biggest thing I think is going to be, we're going to see a lot of challenges over the next few years here from utilities that are trying to protect their P&Ls and will bring in challenges around like net metering, what we're seeing. Um, so that's, you know, I think it's not an unknown thing, but that's going to bring up a lot of opportunity for people to look at the holistic home energy equation to solve that once net metering is removed. Mm. and so. I think homeowners are going to become more and more aware that they can, you know, control and and look at where their energy is, how it's used. And there'll be more technologies in the space that, you know, make homeowners control their own destiny, have their own destiny around who they're paying the electrical bills to, how, how much they're paying and how they manage their
0: energy. Keith Merritt is president of Clean Energy Services at Generac Power Systems. Keith, it has been an absolute treasure to have this time with you. I've gleaned a lot myself about what I see happening in the new resilient home of the future. Thank you for sharing with the Suncast Tribe.
1: No, appreciate it. And it was a blast, it was awesome.
0: Wow, wow, Solar Warriors. I love this interview from a career development and job placement perspective. I think that Keith did a really phenomenal job, not only providing insight and inspiration around the inevitable electrification of the home, the grid services and programs that are required, the exciting ways that companies like Generac are looking at the long-term strategy and reality that we've got to deliver resilience and peace of mind to homeowners. I think as well that it is inevitable and it's really interesting to see inside the the structure of such a large player building a collective ecosystem the way that Generac is thanks again to Keith and the Generac team for helping me understand insight of their digitalization of energy. I'd love to know what did you take away? What did you learn from this interview? Since I know that you're going to be hopping online as you are prone to do, would you mind sharing this episode with someone else over on LinkedIn or Twitter? Maybe we're eager to learn how this episode resonated with you. So I'd love to know who you think also needs to hear the story. I hope you'll tune in next week as we'll meet Tyler Hurlburt over at Energia. We'll learn about investing into renewable energy with your IRA. And we have a special fun offer for you as well on Tuesday. And then Thursday, we will meet with three founders that have truly impressed and inspired me. The guys that founded Tradewind and Savion, two development companies that sold to Enel and Shell, respectively. Yeah, that's right. The same team built and sold both. If you're eager to keep learning, well, you, my fellow philomath, can head on over to mysuncast.com where you'll find the resources and highlights from this and every other discussion along with social media links to Keith and his company as well as book recommendations and more. And one more thing, just a quick reminder that maybe the single kindest thing you could do is to leave us a five-star rating and enthusiastic review over on Apple or whichever platform you choose to listen to podcasts as this helps Others filter out the noise and find value in Suncast, just like you have. So thank you for that. You can go to ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast. Takes about three minutes, and I'm super grateful that you're considering that. Ratethispodcast.com forward slash suncast. Thanks once again to our sponsors for helping make this content free to you. You can learn more about them over at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Of course, we've got links in the header for all of these things. And that's also where you can learn how you can partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions twice a week just like our sponsors do. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up solar warrior. It's half the battle. Kia, solar warrior.